everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And guess what? I get to record another episode with Q the Nurse. And I am so excited, Q. Woot woot. I am excited as well. I'm happy to be back so soon. (laughs) I had an absolute blast last time. Well, we enjoyed it so much and felt like it turned out so good that we were like, let's do it again right now, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So excited. So this week, first of all, we have to every single week. I don't know how long I'm going to be an indentured servant to my husband about the website, but he (laughs) built it for free. I have to let everyone know and remind everyone every week to go to it from now on. I can't say anything about anything else. I have to only say the website because he just wants feedback from the website. So I'm like, okay, please go to goodnursebadnurse.com and give Mark some feedback on the feedback link and let him know what you think about it. If you like it, if you don't like it, what information you'd like to see on there and all of that stuff. Q, do you have anything you'd like to tell us or plug for your... Oh, yeah. No, I, uh, same as always. Q the nurse, Instagram, YouTube. That's where you can find me. If, yes. uh, if you can't, uh, it's super easy. Just the letter Q and then the nurse. No craziness there. All right. Sounds good. Well, we'll get right into our little icebreaker news story, which is this week we were going to talk about. We've, I found this article that I thought was interesting, probably because I just recently went to the doctor to get a, a, like a checkup, a yearly checkup. So when I saw this, I was like, what time is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently, you're not supposed to visit your doctor in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know how you're supposed to do that. Everybody can't go in the morning, you know. Of course not. But it's just there is decision fatigue that they're calling it. Yeah, no. Uh, and I wanted to ask you this because I mean, of course, there's fatigue with when it comes to every profession. Yeah. Do you feel this at all as a nurse? Do you, is that, is this, you think if they did the study and if they looked up when um, nurses are fatigued, do you think it'd be around the same time? That's a good question. I thought about that when I read this. I was thinking, I do think that some of the nurses start complaining about being tired in the afternoon, right? You know, I think that's common. You know, after lunch, you, you eat lunch. It's your body's trying to break down and, you know, metabolize the food that you just ate and you're, you're kind of, well, for me, we, start our shift at seven o'clock in the morning. So we've been up for a while since like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. So if it's a really busy day, then I don't know that we have time to stop and think about whether we're tired or not, you know? (laughs) Respect. No, I hear that. (laughs) I definitely hear that. But then the fatigue, like the decision fatigue, it's maybe different than actually being physically tired. So I don't know. What do you think? I agree because I feel like, I don't know, obviously, and I don't mean to demean or just belittle nurses, but the decisions the doctor doctors make. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is important that you follow the order the way it is and question the order when things are don't look right. But the decisions the doctors make are the do or die decisions, right? Are mm-hmm. the bigger decisions. So like, I thought it was crazy. Like when they said 26% higher chance of writing an antibiotic prescription at 4pm versus 8am, because it's just easier to do than like, look, you know, get the blood work and all of that I stuff. Know. I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's, does it take that much oomph? To make like the right decision, especially if you're not the one acting out the decision. I always I I find that to be a little I don't know. Decision fatigue is very different than actual fatigue. You're right. So I don't think this is something that they would pick up with nurses. I don't know if there's different decisions that we make in the beginning of the shift versus in the middle of the shift. Oh, that's a good point. So doctors, I guess, are all day long from the time they start their their shift or their day to the end of the day. They are constantly having to make decisions of how to 
treat the patient and they don't always know what's going on. They may be trying to figure out what's wrong with the patient. Maybe that's a kind of exhausting, just making decisions all day long and having patients push back. You know, patients, oh, yeah. they, doctors complain all the time because patients are Googling things and they're like, <laughs> well, actually, I looked that up and that's not really the right medicine to order. You know, so then doctors probably just get so tired of that. And by the end of the day, they're just like, well, okay, what do you want me to order? Here you go. You know, exactly. No, no, no. I get that. Just yeah, that. That is, I think you swung me, Tina. I think you swung me. I, I get very frustrated with my patients, too. And if they keep nagging me all day, sometimes I just got to let in. Yes, I guess. I know you're on the diabetic diet, but I'll give you a cookie. I have a little secret, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think you might have swung me on that one. Yeah, uh, patients can definitely, I don't know what it was like before because I have only been a nurse since we've had the technology of Google and being able to look up those answers. But I can imagine that it's probably gotten to be a lot more frustrating for everybody in the healthcare field dealing with patients. You know, because I mean, I Google stuff too. You and I Googled last week when I or whenever we were. Of course. I mean, I Google stuff all the time. <laughs> no, and 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 I, ha- I have a PA doctor, uh, a PA, and a nurse practitioner that I was talking to the other day, and they said it's crazy because you see all the um, adverts for the prescription medications on TV these days. So a lot of you're right. When people Google stuff, and not only are they Googling, when they're watching their TV, their whatever, they're seeing it all day. To ask your doctor for this med. Ask your doctor for that <laughs> med. Ask your doctor. Tell your doctor you need this med. So yeah. you're right. No, you're right. You're right. And uh, the doctors are probably cringing on, oh, please do not ask. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, they, they likened it to decision fatigue is why a lot of marketers sort of do things to try to get you to buy their product when you're in a, a situation where you've had to make a lot of decisions. Like, for instance, car dealerships, they say, will offer you expensive, unnecessary options at the end of kind of like when you're, you've already purchased and then you're just like, oh, whatever, just throw it in there, whatever. Sunroof, fine. Leather seats, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I love it. It started That's- out spending this much on now it's ten thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know people are so sneaky the way they figure this stuff out but yeah. that is exactly how it plays out you come <laughs> in you, you know you put your foot down i'm not spending a dime over with this much <laughs> right next thing you know you know you got the bigger rims the stereo system the whole night and the d- double the car payment <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Working oh, extra shifts at the hospital now. <laughs> the struggle is too real. <laughs> so I don't know. I think there may be something to that, but I thought that was kind of funny. Maybe Agreed. just putting that thought into people's heads as they're, you know, as you're going to the doctor. Maybe what they suggest in the article is, and this was in the New York Times, is to you're going to have to go to the doctor in the afternoon sometimes. But if you do, keep in mind that your doctor might be, or your nurse practitioner, or your provider, whoever it is, they might be a little fatigued. So if they seem that way, you know, go easy on them. But you may want to politely just say, hey, I I haven't had a, a mammogram in a while, and I need one or whatever it is, the colon screening that doctors should be thinking about. You may have to do a little research and kind of know your stuff and be an advocate for yourself. Most definitely. And, and, it's funny that you say yeah, you might have to do a little research because it is a double-edged sword, right? So you want to do the research, but you also don't want to be telling your doctor what to do. You want to no. be just like asking like in like a polite and suggesting, this is what I was told. Is this right? Can we do this? Should I get this checkup? Should I get this vaccine? Are we looking at all the options? Yeah. yeah but don't come in there, you know, bat swinging. We have to do it this way because Google and WebMD said so. No, I think not. there's a polite way of doing it, respectful way of doing it. And if you do that, 
you definitely catch more flies with honey, as they say. So being nice and being standing up for yourself or just suggesting like, hey, I did look this up. I, I'm not whatever you, you know, I, I trust your opinion, but I just thought I would ask you about this. Then they're going to be a lot more likely, I think, to, to say to consider it, you know, and say, actually, that's not a bad idea, you know, as opposed to and if your doctor is absolutely and will, will not consider anything that you have to say, maybe get another doctor because that's that's not good either. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely not good. Um, And, and you're right, uh, Tina, just because even as a nurse, when I get my patients who know what they're talking about and they do come up and bring it up politely or just respectfully just mm-hmm. I, I don't know q I, I i saw this thing my dad had this procedure and he came out really well like this is something that they did um is this something that i should be doing can i be eating this should i be and i'm like thank you for asking yes let's have that conversation yeah. you know so there is definitely a right way to do it and when you do do it the healthcare provider at least i know from my perspective um loves it i'm like yeah. they're ready they want to learn they want to be as healthy as possible yeah you're involved in your care you actually care you're not going to just leave and be like well whatever and just go get a hamburger (laughs) 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 Uh, don't tell them memorial day we got a barbecue tina we got a barbecue this weekend do a turkey burger no (laughs) i have to work monday so Well, so I guess that is our little in the news. It's our icebreaker so we can get into this this crazy story about this doctor. So we did a, a doctor story. We have a, a bad doctor story. It's a little bit kind of like a, is he a bad doctor? Is he in a bad? It's a little bit of a mystery. And it's been going Tina, on a long time. I, I I have to say, I don't know if I agree with you though, that it is a mystery. Really? I came down one way real hard. Did just you? to let you. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, oh. no, no. Don't tell me. I, I, I'll, I'll figure <laughs> it out. I probably yes. will figure it out real real fast when we start talking. But so, Doctor Sam Shepard is who we're going to be talking about. Many of you listening probably know the story. I I, I don't think I was familiar with the story. And that's kind of surprising because it is one of the biggest true crime stories of the century. It's up there with Lindbergh baby kidnapping. And it's just, it's crazy how this endured over the decades of uh, media and uh, Hollywood. And it's just crazy. So Dr. Sam Shepard, he was born in Columbus, Ohio on December 29th. And that date is significant because it is my birthday. So I thought, Oh wait, really? Yeah. Uh, well, oh, I'm, I'm the I'm the 26th with December babe. Hey, I did not know that. Oh my goodness, yeah. So you know the you know the struggle for having a, a Christmas <laughs> birthday. Here you go, both your Christmas and your birthday present. No more gifts for a full year. Good luck. <laughs> So, but his, he was born in 1923, so it was a long time ago. He was the youngest of three sons. His parents were Dr. Richard Allen Shepard and Ethel Shepard. He went to Cleveland Heights High School. He played football, basketball, track. He was class president for three years, excelled in academic. He was offered athletic scholarships by many colleges, but he decided to pursue a career in medicine. His dad was a physician, and so he wanted to follow his dad's in his dad's footsteps. So he sounds like a very well-rounded kind of a person, you know, a lot of times doctors are like that highly intelligent person that you can't, you know, always relate to. He sounds like he might have (laughs) been a left brain, right brain balance kind of guy. Yeah, no, every single time I read one of the stories or get into this, it always starts out with the person 
or the people or the team or the family just being perfect. And I mean, this dude is batting a thousand right now. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this lineup, this is, this is, a, this is a friend. This is a person. This is who you want in your life. Yeah. He had a good start in life. There's no doubt about that. Yes. He definitely had a, a great opportunity. He went to Hanover College in Indiana for his undergraduate degree. And then he went to medical school at the Los Angeles Osteopathic School of Physicians and Surgeons. And osteopathic me- medicine, I did not know what that was before I became a nurse just a few years ago. And it's a different type of medical degree. And it's yeah. kind of weird to say that because it's not a medical degree. It's a doctor of osteopathic medicine. So are you familiar with that? No, I, I also, yeah. So we, there's a couple of DOs where, that I've worked with in the past, and I asked them that exact question, right? And uh, it, it, I don't know if it's a state-by-state thing or it works different in different regions or just different countries, but I do know that um, MDs are strictly very much into like the physio- physiological, like I'm all about the science data. And I don't want to say that DOs aren't, but I do want to say they try to be a lot more holistic mm-hmm. than the MDs is what I was told by multiple DOs and obviously that's anecdotal but they that's how they told me and uh, explained it to me but 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 the both MDs and DOs do practice medicine so don't think for like oh they're gonna give me some herbs or stuff no, no they're it's all medicine but uh, for some reason that's the explanation I have gotten from the very few that I've met. Yeah, they are physicians. They can. They are surgeons. They exactly. They prescribe the same medications. They have all of the same training and education. It's except that the approach is more, like you said, holistic and all-encompassing of the whole mind and body together, instead of just like focusing in on the absolute science of this exactly. is going on. Here is this chemical that will fix this, and or that you know, I don't know. It's exactly. Just, that, that's what I was told. So I don't know that that cleared that up at all. Maybe that's clear as mud, but that's about the best I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Respect. I'm right there with you, Tina. So he married Marilyn Reese on February 21st in 1945 in Hollywood, California. And he eventually moved back to Ohio to practice medicine with his father at Bayview Hospital. So his father actually bought this hospital because he wanted to have, he wanted his whole family to basically work at this hospital. I did I so I did not know that. And I did not see that, but I do know that is that is amazing. That that's huge. He bought the entire hospital? Yeah, it's a small like 110 bed hospital there in Cuyahoga County, just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. So, yeah, he bought the the hospital. He he his dream was to have his kids go to medical school and come back and work there at the hospital and they would all just be one big happy <laughs> medical family. That is one dream and good for him for buying a, a hospital. That's huge. I know. I, it's crazy. When I first started like watching the different uh, videos and stuff about this story, it said something. One of them said something about he went back to the hospital where that he that he owned or that he. And I thought, I, I think they said that. That wrong. doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> they messed up. They totally made. No, nope, now he owned the hospital. <laughs> so that's crazy. That's actually crazy. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so it was called Bayview Hospital. Um, on July 3rd, 1954, Dr. Shepard and his wife were having a dinner party at their house. They lived on, right on Lake Erie in a, a little place called Bay Village, very affluent area outside of Cleveland. And I guess this was so funny, too. They, they had been watching a movie called Strange Holiday on television. Now, 1954, yes. can you imagine people sitting around watching a movie in 1954 <laughs> on television? <laughs> 
I don't know what that it looks like. I know that there's antennas. It's a black and white screen. I don't know. I, I can't picture it. I can't either. I was like, wait, they did that? I <laughs> Netflix and chill before it's time. I know. So, I mean, how many options did they have? <laughs> Three channels? I know. Uh, well, hey, I mean, I can remember. Well, and if, if I don't have... Netflix or something to watch. I can't watch any. I can't find anything to watch on television. Like no, no more. I don't. Yeah. There's. So this was great. They had a movie. They they were having a dinner party. Watch while sitting around watching a movie together. He fell asleep during the movie. He was probably exhausted. I think he had been up working. That had gone into the hospital a couple times that day for different things. And uh, this was the day before July the fourth. You know, Independence Day. So it was a little bit of a sort of a holiday, I guess, ish. You know, they were sort of preparing for having a big celebration the next day. So he was apparently so he fell asleep on that day bed in the living room and he I guess he was a heavy sleeper so she tried to wake him up to go to bed and he wouldn't wake up so she let him lay there and he went to bed and there's a book called The Wrong Man by James Neff he that mm-hmm. he wrote this pretty recently and he kind of gave different accounts and he did a, a very extensive research on this this whole story and what he said is that the couple that had, that had come over the neighbors at about midnight she fell asleep in her chair and then they were going to like sneak out I guess like oh they're asleep let's go but then she woke up and walked her friends to the kitchen door and that went out to the driveway and I guess the main road called Lake Road. So they passed Sam on the daybed so they know, knew that he was asleep. They that is how they that's how it's known that he that he did fall asleep on the daybed by their account. And they did say he was sleeping soundly and Nancy was the the neighbor's name. Uh, she told Marilyn that you, sh- you should just, you know, jump in bed before you aren't sleeping anymore. You ever do that like you you're sitting there like yeah, watching? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you're like I'm so <laughs> exactly. tired. Exactly. And if you could just go to sleep right then, you'd sleep like the best sleep ever. Of course. <laughs> as soon as you get up and like brush your teeth and wash your face and all that and then you're like well dag i'm i'm awake now <laughs> so that's what it's kind of like what she was saying like go on to sleep before you you know you aren't sleepy anymore so exactly nancy told the police she could not remember walking the if kitchen yeah. Yes. Which is important, very important, because things are about to pop off. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yes. At, at some point later that night, in the wee hours of the next morning on July the 4th, she, Marilyn Shepard, who was four months pregnant at the time, was murdered in her bedroom upstairs. Actually, it was a guest bedroom. I this Reading different accounts at different points, I'm like, oh, wait, it was a guest bedroom. There were two twin beds in the bedroom, and it was cooler in there, apparently, the way that it wherever it was positioned near the lake or something. And so she, I guess, would sleep in there when it was really hot. And it was July. So Sam Shepard says he was awakened by her screaming while he was asleep. And he ran up to the bedroom and he said he saw a dark figure. This is his account of what happened. Yes, yes. Very important to know. Yeah. And he was hit over the head. He was the only person there. So, I mean, he's the only account we can take. Yeah. But, you know, we'll get to forensics and all that good stuff after. Exactly. So, according to him, the intruder then ran downstairs and out of the house and toward the lake. Now, he he says that he was hit over the head and was knocked unconscious there in the in the bedroom. He was knocked unconscious twice. He was knocked unconscious then. And then he, when he kind of came to, he heard some noise downstairs and then when he I think he, he looked out a window and saw someone running through the yard and he ran downstairs and chased him through the yard to, down to the lake 
And when he got down there, they scuffled around. And he says down there, he was hit over the head again and knocked unconscious. And he was in the lake. He was actually kind of in at the water's edge when all of this happened. So he said he doesn't know how long he was out. But then when he finally came around, he ran back into the house, called his neighbor first to come over um, and help. His neighbor was the mayor. And uh, yeah, he was the it's a mayor. nice neighbor to have. Yeah, and, and a butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? anybody stop and think about that? No, no, kidding. So when the neighbor and the police arrived, he wasn't wearing a shirt and they never found the shirt. And according to Wikipedia, his pants had a wet blood stain on the knee. And because I was looking this up on Wikipedia when I find like I read all the different stories and then I kind of go to Wikipedia and be like, OK, lay it out for me, Wikipedia. <laughs> you know, exactly. and then I, I kind of add my different details because I'm like, oh, wait, Wikipedia, you missed something. And I'll, you know, add something in that I kind of saw in a video or read in a different article. So they said I, before you move yeah. on, I just I just want the listeners to just take note at how funky that story was. I know we're going to get into the details, yeah. Tito, but I just have to say mm-hmm. no one, nobody. I mean, you heard his history, a football player. He got offered a scholarship. Mm-hmm. He was like the bees knees. You know, he was built from head to toe. He gets knocked out, wakes up and just in time for the guy to be running down the the down to the lake who gets knocked out and wakes up fast enough to see the guy just downstairs yeah. that is it, okay I, i'm just gonna say i'm just gonna put my two cents <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of dr shepherd yeah to that, say the least and it seems like everybody's on one side or the other on this this story it is just so crazy so he's got this blood stain on on the knee and it's wet and then in this book by james neff he said that the book says he woke up his the account it says he heard his wife shout his name ran upstairs on the way up he saw a large form wearing a white top in their summer bedroom and when he reached the top of the stairs or just inside the bedroom he was struck from behind and knocked out then after he came to he heard a noise ran down saw something in the dark large figure probably a man at one point he he said that he had bushy hair yeah he chased him out of the house went down the wooden steps and this guy's real like creative like his creating writing skills are on point but he caught the figure in the skin they grappled was knocked out again and then when he woke up he was face down in the water and his head was toward the bluff why that was the morning i don't know so now before we go forward i just went like if you don't want to hear these details there's a just a, we're going to talk about the, the crime scene and what it looked like when when they found her so if you want to skip forward a few minutes, some people yeah. don't like hearing that sort of thing. Tina, and by the way, yeah. I appreciate you doing that. I think it's it's it's, it's at least kind. It's empathetical. Yeah. I, at least let people know it's coming. Yeah. Sometimes I, I like listening to true crime or watching, but every now and then something hits me like that. I'm like, oh. If I had oh, my goodness. I know. You're like yeah. on the way home from work yeah. and then you hear something gruesome. So like, thank you. Yeah. So when they found her, police went upstairs. They found her lying on the bed with her pajama top pulled up. Her pajama top apparently was pulled all the way up kind of under her arms, above her breast. Her pant, her pajama pants and underwear were pulled completely off of one leg and down under the knee of the other. She had been bludgeoned. She was covered in blood. The walls were covered with blood spatter drops of blood were found on the floors all throughout the house yeah and then they had a little boy his name his name was sam also sam reese but he went by chip he was seven he was still asleep when the neighbors got there he was still asleep and didn't have which is it's crazy yeah no I, i that's what i thought i mean because just describing the the 
crime scene, yeah. and they said he was bludgeoned. I mean, um, she was bludgeoned. Mm-hmm. Marilyn was bludgeoned. I mean, that just sounds like someone screaming out for, <clears throat> you know, uh, who knows? All we know is that um, he was asleep, and it's just, it's sad. It's just like the saddest thing in the world well, to do yeah. or whatever that happened um, in the room next door. And she screamed loud enough to wake up Sam, the doctor, downstairs in the living room. Oh, yes. Yes, according to the story. But yes. not loud enough to wake up the seven-year-old boy in the next, in, in maybe da- you know down the hall. I don't know. I mean, it just seemed odd t- to me that that her screams would wake up someone all the way downstairs, but not someone that was upstairs. They did say it was exactly. a heavy sleeper. They also said Dr. Shepard was a heavy sleeper. I don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> a really good point. <laughs> they had a family dog, and I guess the family dog, and not all dogs bark, but... It kind of, he was, I guess he was in the house and it seems odd to me that the dog wouldn't have barked. Done anything. Yeah. You know, especially with the stranger, with the fighting, with the running, with the chasing, yeah. with the, the whole nine, everything happened. And you would think. No barking. You know, I don't know. So there, that's, that's his story and he's sticking to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It did say he he appeared to be disoriented and in shock. I'm, I guess you would be. Exactly. Police said though that when they when they got there, the house looked like someone had tried to stage a burglary. Yep, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> so the wrong man again. I'll go back to this book because it it really does lay out a lot of really good details. You can really tell this guy did a lot of research. He talks about the coroner who is. Dr. Samuel Gerber. So Dr. Gerber is, he is the coroner, so he's a medical doctor, but he was also a, it was a, an elected office that voters in there in Cuyahoga County had to elect into that position, sort of like a prosecutor, you know, or a district attorney. Yes. And so it's something like that, but he is a medical doctor and he's responsible, his office is responsible for handling, you know, cases like this to determine cause of death and all of the details by looking at all the evidence of try to figure out what happened to someone. And so he and the detectives agreed that it did look as if someone had staged a burglary. They said, you know, typically if you walk into a, a room that's been kind of ransacked by someone looking for something, the person that's robbing the place doesn't just like nice and neatly open the drawers. Open. Yes. Like, it's everything's thrown around. There's yeah. trash, you know, broken right. handles. It's a mess. Exactly. That's not, I mean, whenever I'm going to rob someplace, I don't just nice and neatly open up the drawers. <laughs> no. You know, and fold the laundry on the way out. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, that I might do. That might drive me crazy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So, but yes, I mean that they were like, this looks a little too neat for someone just like ransacking the place looking for uh, something in a hurry. So, and they also said, could a burglar on the run drop a bag and have it land like that because there was a do- uh, a bag that they a do- that his medical bag, you know, the big black bag that you know the doctors keep the their big you- doctors back in the day yeah. with the stethoscope and the whole that. <laughs> I love seeing that. I was like, is that actually what they used to do? I thought it was only in Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> And and it, yeah. it was like resting on the way that it was laying upside down, I guess, didn't look natural, didn't look like any way that a bag would land naturally. Unless you were trying to state something. Yeah. So his story seemed like it just was not plausible at all that he was knocked out twice. Why hadn't the killer used his weapon? I mean, he had the weapon. The weapon was never found. So he had to have run off with the weapon, you know, they, yes. they would assume. So why didn't he use the weapon on scene? On Shepard, right? So if he, it's either that he drops the weapon and it's found at the scene yeah. or he uses it on Shepard because he knocked Shepard out twice. And I, I did want to ask you, um, because in the in one of the videos that um, you sent me to watch, there was like there was scenes of, like, I mean, they were basically 
played out the entire case, right? And then the other video, they were just talking about the case. When they played out the case, he looked all scuffed up in the face. Mm -hmm. I know in both situations, he had a neck brace post the situation, but in... Was he actually like? Did he actually have bumps and bruises on his face? Is that something that you saw? Yes. Or was that just the movie? He did. His eye was. I get. He had a. I think it said he had a black eye. Okay. There were two different accounts of what happened to his neck because there was an expert that said that he had a broken neck, that he had some vertebrae that were broken. Of course, his experts. Of course. And then doctors on the prosecution side said that that wasn't true when they had his neck, uh, I guess, X-rayed or examined. They didn't see that. Surprise! Surprise! Right. <laughs> so Dr. Gerber had been the coroner there for 17 years, and he kind of had an interesting relationship with the press. You know, you can imagine this. It's so funny because when I think of the 50s, I don't think of, you know, the the media the way it is now. You know, you Exactly. No, I hear you. Do you not get the, I, I conjure up the this image of like pe- the, the media being honest and really trying to... <laughs> I'm so gullible, but yeah, no, 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 no. I hear you, but when I was reading the story, I heard the same thing. Like all of these media outlets were coming into the small town because they were like, "I'm ready for like violent sex and like intrigue." I'm like, "What? This is this is? Are we talking about a Game of Thrones episode, or we talk about a real life murder in the fifties? It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess people are like all over, as they say in the the Twilight episode. It's just it's <laughs> generation after generation. People aren't really that different. It's just you have different surroundings and circumstances. So they had television back then. They had news media. They newspapers and those reporters would love to get those salacious stories that they could get people buying newspapers and watching their news channels. As long as they get their eyeballs, that's all they care about. And this, it sounds like this coroner, Dr. Dr. Gerber, had a relationship with them where he would also kind of feed them information, sort of, I guess, leaking out information to the media. I mean, if you think about it, he's kind of jury tampering there because he's most definitely letting details get out into the to the public so that he knows everybody's going to be reading the papers, watching the news, and they're going to get preconceived ideas. Then whenever it goes to trial, they're going to remember that even if the judge doesn't allow it in. I think by now, most people listening know that I'm just not a fan of of Dr. Shepard. But I agree with you, Tina. It's just it's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's not right. Like, it doesn't matter how much you believe or disbelieve someone. The jury has to be coming in neutral and if this um this gerber dr gerber if he's putting out all this information and sending all these subliminal messages through the media it's just it's not right i I want the bad guys to go away for as long as humanly possible but if you can't do it this way yeah and you know also we were talking about the differences between osteopathic medicine and, and the medical doctor well dr gerber was a medical doctor and apparently i don't know if it's like i haven't really heard this recently but this was a long time ago and and there was a lot of contention between the practices of osteopathic doctors and versus medical doctors and Mm. the medical doctors and the american medical association did not like the practices the dos Mm -mm. they did not Mm. they were not impressed they were they didn't like they were given the same privileges to be able to prescribe medicines and perform surgeries and all of those things they kind of called them less than yeah and so dr gerber had come across a resident i guess out in the field somewhere and that doctor's name was Max Don, and he asked, "Oh, are you part of the Shepherd Clan?" Oh uh, well, I mean that whole family's in that hospital, so I of guess course. that's how he viewed them. And that doctor replied that he was a resident there at Bayview, and he said, "I'm going to get them someday." 
And so that's what that doctor said. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's not right. Well, so it's it's sort definitely of, not right. Yeah, and it kind of throws a little bit of a wrench into everything because is that Dr. Gerber, did he already decide from the very beginning, oh, this is my opportunity to yeah. swing everything going toward uh, him being guilty and kind of not at all highlight or maybe even hide some evidence? Who knows? I, I didn't know that prior to this conversation, but I, I, I that's such... That's such helpful information just because that's a huge chip that Dr. Gerber had on yeah. his shoulder. And you can't have that big of a chip on your shoulder going into a case like this. Like I said, as bad as – as much as me just reading this information, hindsight, 20, 20 vision, like I don't think that Dr. Shepard was innocent, right? But you can't do what Dr. Gerber is doing. You just cannot do it. It's not right. It's not fair. It's, it's not what – it's not how it should be done. Yeah, and he – I guess he didn't like the way that the, the shepherds would do things like call up the, the local newspaper whenever they had a particularly heroic case in the emergency department where they saved someone's oh. life. And then the newspaper would run an article about that because, again, that's an interesting story that they can. Exactly. Well, then that's just free publicity for the hospital. And they are, were apparently doing very well. And a, a lot of the medical doctors or you know, the doctors that weren't associated with that hospital were they didn't appreciate it very much. Of course, not. of course. I won't say did. that they were <laughs> jealous, but they were—they just sort of resented that, I guess. Of course, I mean they're losing business, yeah. and they—it makes the shepherds look like the almighty great doctors. So exactly. So now, Doctor Gerber. So he's the coroner. He's the elected official. He has this big office full of you know deputies and people working, investigators, and one of those people working under him at the coroner's office was Dr. Lester Adelson, and he was a pathologist who had graduated from Harvard. Mm -hmm. So after determining the time that rigor mortis had set in, he was able to narrow down the time of death to be around 4.30 a.m. And there was a big, in the, the book that I was reading, there was a kind of complicated way that it sort of, it, it explained how he came to that conclusion, but it made sense. And he, he basically, you know, looked at her stomach contents and her, the temperature of her body when they, when they found her and all of those things. And he came to the conclusion that she, at the time of death was going to be somewhere between, he narrowed it down to like between 4.15 and 4.45. So he kind of went with time of death at 4.30. Four. Yeah, and, and I just have to note, like when you, I, I love like those those TV shows like Bones, NCIS, Law and, or, Law and Order, right? Um, reading this stuff, yes, it is possible for um, the mortician to like do the or autopsy and like check everything out and be like, all right, it could be this narrow of a time, which I thought was super super impressive. But it it is a huge deal when you come and talk about it through the eyes of what Doctor Shepard said, because it's like he if she died at four thirty and we're going to get to the calls and all of that stuff in a little bit, but it's important that we know the time of death. Very important. Mm -hmm, for sure. So Dr. Gerber, he, he was not a pathologist, but he would end up telling everyone that the time of death was at 3 a.m. And so he did that because it sort of opened up the question of what happened. What, where, what was he doing for? Yeah. Was he really knocked out for three hours? But, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So it was 5.40 a.m. when he called the neighbor. So... Yeah, because it, it, the the earlier that they make that the time of death means that like that would be 
the latest that Dr. Shepard could have heard Marilyn scream. And if Mar- and if Dr. Shepard heard Marilyn scream at 3 a.m. versus 4.15 or 4.30 a.m., him running upstairs, getting knocked out, three hours later, you're going to run down and you're going to find the guy running out the, the, the house? That's impossible. It's not right. So Dr. Gerber definitely knows what he's doing. But I still have to say, if even if the time of death is 4.30 a.m., if you get knocked out at 4.30 a.m. till 5, 4, that's a full hour. What is the bad guy doing in the house waiting uh, until 5.40 a.m. or at least 5.30 a.m. waiting just to run out down the lake? Yeah. I still am not a fan of Dr. Shepard. <laughs> this stuff is not helping him. None of this is helping him. No, it's really not. Even the correct time of day. Yeah, because 4.30 to 5.40. So that's still an hour. You know, yes. that's over an hour. So Dr. Adelson, this pathologist, he had a very complete typed up report about his findings that he found when he did the autopsy. But those findings and that report was never released and not known to anyone, including Dr. Shepard and his legal team for 50 years. I mean, it was well into the year 2000 when that somehow was discovered. So I don't know how that was covered up or hidden or put in a back file. <laughs> like, well, we'll just file this over here, you know, and oops, we put that accidentally in the wrong place, you know, and then it's crazy. Fast yeah, forward 50 yeah. years and well, look what I found, you know, some sneaky, sneaky business happened there. I mean, that that cannot be an accident. I know. Now, back at the house, they are searching. They got teenagers. They got people from everywhere looking all over the grounds. They're trying to find the the murder weapon. They didn't find the murder weapon, but they found under some shrubbery in the grounds in the back of the house, they found a keychain or they found a a bag, like a cloth bag. And inside the bag, there was a keychain with keys on it, a class ring and a fraternity charm and a man's watch. And all of those things belong to Dr. Shepard. And the the watch had stopped at 4.15 a.m. And it had condensation under the crystal and dried blood on the band. So that right there is an interesting, I mean, that's a pretty interesting detail. At this point, everything that's found is Dr. Shepard's. Not a single sign of Mr. Bushy hair, right? Not a single sign of the intruder. The, um, the, what's it called? The the investigators thought that everything looked staged. I mean, the timing from the death, Tina! Come to, I'm telling you, girl, this man, Mr. Shepard, he's a bad man. He's a bad man. So, well, so they didn't ever find the murder weapon. So police arrested Dr. Shepard. They were just sure that he had killed her in a fit of rage and then staged the scene to look like a burglary gone bad. They learned that Shepard had been involved in an extramarital affair for three years. And then that, of course, was leaked to the media. And it just became an absolute carnival circus of a trial. It was terrible. I just want to ask, I know you've done this a lot, but I find that in a lot of these stories, there's always an affair someplace, somehow. Yeah. I mean, I guess people do crazy things for love, but some of these things are just too much. I know. Yeah. And if you think about it, he's having an affair for three years with this. And I believe it was a nurse or a lab tech or something like that. I've got a couple of different accounts of that. But she worked at the hospital and his wife was four months pregnant. You know, mm. sometimes that leads someone's having an affair and then 
his wife gets pregnant, it sort of causes a lot of rage and, and frustration because maybe they were thinking of leaving and now, oh, great, this is thrown a huge... Kid. Yeah. And, that's, and, and you're right, because it's frustration in literally every way. Like, the, the mistress is like, I thought you were leaving. The wife is like, I have a kid, you gotta stay. The the, the, the baby daddy's like, I mean, this uh, Mrs. Shepard could be like, I can't, I don't know what to do, so I have to do something extreme. So, yeah, sounds like a motive to me. I don't know. So the coroner, uh, coroner's office and the police were constantly leaking information, of course, trying to get the media to keep feeding, feeding the general public all of these details so that they are pretty much turning against him. He was convicted of second-degree murder on December 21st of 1954 and sentenced to life in prison. Then... On January 7th, 1955, tragically, his mother, Ethel Shepard, took her own life by gunshot. And 11 days later, his father, Dr. Richard Shepard, died of a bleeding gastric ulcer and stomach cancer. So that was very unfortunate. And I don't know if you saw some of the interviews with his brother. Yes. It's really sad, you know, because his brother is in his court. You know, he, he believes he's innocent and he totally just blamed the system and 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 I, I i never know how to feel about family members of crazed people right mm-hmm. they're they, they literally are in an impossible situation right especially when it comes to like family family you want to be especially if there's even the slightest doubt that it could be something else like that's all you're praying for because you don't want to believe your son your daughter your sister your brother has has the ability or did some crazy crazy crime like this and it doesn't even have to be crazy you you fight for your siblings you fight for your family so i i always give just the benefit of the doubt to the family of these crazy people yeah but yeah no it's sad it, it sucks and a week apart i mean that's 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 horrible i know that's horrible yeah so her father marilyn's father in 1963, several years later, took his own life in a motel. I read an account of about her her dad. He was very wealthy, very well-to-do person. I don't know what he did, but apparently he was very wealthy. And But I read that they didn't really have a really close relationship. So I don't know, was this somehow as a result of her death or what? was going on but it is it is it's a huge tragic event so like i mean Mm -hmm. it could it it could spiral off into any number of mental illnesses which is depression whatever it is Mm -hmm. and a lot of maybe regrets if they weren't close maybe he regretted yes that's a very good point exactly and they died so young you, you would think i have time no not always right So his attorney attempted to appeal for six years, and then his attorney died in 1961, and his case was taken over by a young lawyer, fresh out of law school, by the name of F. Lee Bailey. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know who F. Lee Bailey is? No, so when reading, I was told that his huge, this is huge, you know, uh, extra, he's he's just a big character when it comes to law and and the history, but like, I didn't know up until reading this, but he is um, a showman to say the least. Yeah, he's extra. (laughs) He's a little extra. <laughs> he's, a li- he's a lot extra. And he was one of the attorneys that represented O.J. Simpson in his trial. Yes. And just a personality. He was just something else. But this was sort of his, I guess, first big case. And he was able to get it overturned. And he Shepard was released from prison on bond because it it wasn't they released him but they at the same time figured there was probably going to be you know there was going to be another trial and i think the the courts gave the prosecutors like 60 days to start the the next phase or you know re-prosecute so in 1966 there was a retrial and this time they sequestered the the jury 
I mean, this wasn't that, this was like, what, 10 years later? It's not, exactly. like all the, pretty much all the people that were there 10 years ago probably well, still still around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of doubt they forgot, but. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the hoopla must have faded away, but yeah. like the fact that it's the biggest, you know, unknown case of a doctor killing his wife, he gets released from prison. No one's going to forget that. No one's going to forget it. But, you know, I kind of wondered, well, it almost would be because like, at this point, 10 years later, people are they, they stop talking about it. And you almost had solidified in your head whether you, you thought he was guilty or not. And it would. Yes. It might be hard to go back from that, you know, but they actually they actually acquitted him. So there was some evidence at this trial that was not there in the first trial. For whatever reason, the blood spatter expert who testified, and th this is the same one who took the evidence. So that this person was there all the time. Yeah. But he testified that the blood spatter indicated the murderer was left-handed and Shepard was right-handed. So I guess that cast-off that happens whenever someone is bludgeoning someone else to death and there's blood on the don't you love this wonderful conversation <laughs> jesus lord right yeah i know oh my god they say you put ketchup okay on, on the, <laughs> let's just let's just make it a pg version let's say we put ketchup all over the end of a bat and and we're and and you kind of dip it in and then like rare back to swing again that cast off that's going to happen it goes in a certain pattern consistently and so these forensic experts know they can look at at the wall and say this person was left-handed because all of the cast off went in this one direction also there was no cast off in this one for one large area of the wall yeah like a yeah. body shaped like <laughs> <laughs> There's like the outline of a body. There's no cast off there. Oh, surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> and so obviously the, the murderer would have had cast off all over them. They're all over their pants, all over their shirt, all over their face, their hair, uh, their shoes. And he didn't have any blood, any of her blood that was cast off like that. That was, I mean, he had some blood on her where he like was like checking her pulse and that sort of thing, but not, not like what you would see. All over. He, Right, if he was the one swinging whatever the weapon was. So that was another little bit of... That really, uh, that did get me to question, because you guys know where I stand on this. But um, I did think about it, and I thought, so they did find some blood on his knee. That's definitely not splatter, but they did find some blood on his knee. Could have been when he was kneeling down to check her. I'll give him that. But you have to remember, he ran out to the lake, and he was soaked, and he lost his shirt, and you can't find his shirt. So he could have just jumped in the lake and tried to wash it off. I don't know how efficient he was, but that, I mean, he is a doctor. So I, like, I feel like, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. It is very mm -hmm. important evidence that they left out. And it is, like, very questionable. But at the same time, I I still am leaning on the guilty. Yeah. yeah. So so he was acquitted. And, of course, F. Lee Bailey's career was launched after that. <laughs> um, he would go on to do wonderful things. <laughs> And uh, Shepard attempted to go back to practicing as a surgeon. And this is... It's insane. Again, it's just awful. This is interesting because I've just... Christine and I did an episode about a doctor in Texas who was just a terrible surgeon and nicked some, some major blood vessels during some surgeries and did a lot of horrible things. Mm. And so that it sort of... This reminded me of that. But he, he got his medical privileges and then... Basically, he was he had become an alcoholic, I guess, through struggling with all of this. 
And then while performing two surgery or surgery on two different women, he accidentally nicked a major blood vessel and both women bled to death. Yeah. No, I don't think having an alcoholic, you know, mm-hmm. ex murderer or ex, you know, prisoner be a doctor. And, uh, I don't know what the rules and the regulations are, but I feel like if you have ever been tried for attempted murder or at mm-hmm. the first degree, you probably shouldn't get your license back. You probably shouldn't be a surgeon. Yeah, because he had been in prison for 10 years. Yeah. So even if he was even if he was innocent, you've been in prison for 10 years. He said that he had been practicing still in how in prison. But how I know he said he was <laughs> assisting. He said he was assisting with cases and procedures. I Who knows? But that was that was his story. Again, he was sticking to it. So when he got out 10 years later, they gave him his privileges back and he I guess it was drinking while he was doing the surgeries. I don't know. But he he did not have the same uh, skill set that he had when he went into prison. So he died on April 6, 1970. He was in his 40s. I don't know. Somebody can do the math here, but yeah. I don't know how old he was. He died of Wernicke's encephalopathy. That's just lesions on the brain caused by thiamine deficiency. It's something that happens when people drink too much alcohol excessively. So a lot of alcoholics have thiamine deficiency we give it to patients who come into the hospital who are uh, detoxing from from alcohol banana bag and and having mm -hmm. yep so his son chip has spent most of his adult life trying to clear his father's name he he thinks he's innocent that's so sad these events just set in motion it changed all of these lives you know it wasn't just his it wasn't just hers that was ended it was both set of parents the kid i mean just the whole the whole town i mean it's a small town the Mm -hmm. bayview hospital had like 100 beds so you know so like literally the entire town everyone that's related to both people it's it changes yeah it altered uh the future for all of these people for sure most definitely chip says that there were blood drops all through the house and this is a known fact um that that is stated in a lot of these accounts that there were blood drops all throughout the house and it wasn't, the blood drops were not the same type as Sam or Marilyn. So there had to be, and then in the, in the bedroom, there was a mix of DNA in the bedroom where she was killed. And so they said that clearly pointed, there was actually evidence that someone else, well, again, trigger warning, but there was someone else's semen in her vagina. So she clearly that night, something had happened. I mean, it's it seems it does seem odd that she would have had some sort of relationship with someone and then this happened and that that wasn't her husband. I don't know. The whole thing just does seem really bizarre. Yeah. So I, what I was thinking is, it's just like so we do know that the husband. We do know Dr. Shepard fell asleep early. I don't know. Obviously, no one knows what the relationship was between the urns. I don't know how to say their last name, but the friends that were there prior to leaving. Um, mm-hmm. So. Anything could have happened. I mean, literally everything, anything could have happened. Or it could have been earlier that day because, like we said in the beginning of the story, that um, Dr. Shepard mm-hmm. was working. He had to go. He was at the hospital that day prior to him coming home and watching the movie. So it could have been mm-hmm. anyone, literally anybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, if Dr. – if 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 
Dr. Shepard woke up and he found out that she was cheating or in some way or he thought um, that the baby wasn't his or any literally anything could have happened. But I think finding some semen that's not of Dr. Shepard does not clear mm-hmm. the man. I mean, I, yeah. they, they needs to be a lot more than, oops, she had sex with someone else. Yeah. And apparently the the person that was doing the autopsy kind of missed some things when he was doing the autopsy. So he, there were some things that you would typically do if you're really trying to find who, what happened that he didn't do. And it would sort of point to the fact that he already had it in his head, who the killer was, that it was a domestic disturb or domestic violence case, that it was the husband did it that everything pointed to that. So he, there were things that he didn't do. Like he rinsed off her face before he took pictures. And, and I think it, it said he rinsed off her face before they took uh, samples. I think yeah, um, just do, doing some things like that. They, they typically put like a little thing in the sink. You know, how you put like a thing in the sink that catches like food and stuff. Yeah. That you're, that yeah you need to catch everything. Yeah. You don't want it to go that that something similar to that in the sink as he's like cleaning her and he didn't have that in there. So so there could have been a lot of stuff lost. I mean, especially if you're mm-hmm. washing the face of the victim. I mean, things like this really it's sad that like little things like this happen. It, it just it really this this kind of stuff really gets me to think that like this is a major murder that took over the entire town. Like, I feel like everyone was if you didn't know about it, especially if you were involved in like the cleanup, the autopsy, any of the investigation at all, you knew how big of a deal this was. So I think about all the time that where it's like not a big name or it's not anyone important. Are they really being as diligent as they possibly like? I don't know. It just it gets me worried because this is as big as a case as they're can be for a small town and people are making all these silly mistakes maybe they already made the assumptions but it sucks it really sucks that all of these things happen due to human error yeah it really does i think i wonder sometimes and and i I, sometimes i can be a little skeptical about things but i sometimes wonder if the police don't think okay i know come on everybody knows he did it yeah so they don't want to quote find any evidence that is going to point to anything else because it's just going to muddy up the waters it's just going to get people confused we don't want to confuse the jury we don't you know we know who did it so we want to make all the evidence point toward this you know so but the problem with that is if if that's true and the person did do it you're not doing you're not helping in the situation at all exactly you're making it harder and like you're making it easier for them moving forward like i hear you i hear you i hear you because yeah. then when you're fat when those little even one detail like that it's found out then your all your trust goes out the window for that whole process exactly they can question they can question everything after that so then there was a man uh by the name of richard eberling who had been kind of a handyman or worked around the house for the shepherds and this man had a very troubled childhood. He was kind of one of those people who set fires, wet the bed, tortured animals, you oh, know, Jesus. that kind of person who, who was in foster care growing up. He didn't have um, a family to really love and care for him. Just all the markers for someone who, you know, could possibly, not that, not, and I don't ever want to, I, I, I hate, I don't like judging people. And um, so I don't. I, I feel like everybody has the opportunity at some point when you're uh, 
when you're grown to make your own decisions and to try to better yourself and get away from whatever your childhood was. And I 100 percent believe in rehabilitation and, you know, people being able to make themselves better. But there are those indicators and he had those and he was working around there. And it's and there was the story is that he was sort of fixated on her. She was very beautiful, athletic, just very attractive. She was a wonderful mother. Her her sister-in-laws, I believe, referred to her as um, a, quote, good doctor's wife because she just, you know, kind of did everything. And he, not having a mother, he sort of looked at her like, oh, wow, I wish I had had, had a mother like that. Mm. But then at the same time, he would, in, during interviews, he would make comments about her wearing, like, tight shorts and things like that. So he clearly had some sort of weird fixation with her. He had been uh, convicted of burglarizing several houses in the area, and he was very obviously very familiar with their home. And when they interviewed him in 1959, several years after Sam Shepard was convicted, he... They, I guess he was showing them some things that he had, or they, they discovered some, some things that he had stolen, and a, cu- a couple of uh, rings that belonged to Marilyn Shepard were in with those things. So he said that he broke into the house after the murders, uh, the murder, and stole them then. And then he also said that he, before they even asked him about this, he knew, I guess, he offered to uh, just offered the information and said that he had cut himself when he was working at the house. So there there was blood in the house. His blood was in the house that had dripped you know, through the house. He offered that without them really asking. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is at this point is when I started, you know, um, feeling bad about jumping the gun and just say, oh, my goodness, it's Shepard. he did it, he did it, he did it. Because this guy, I mean, if you want another bad guy to be thrown into the situation 10 years after, I mean, like, literally, like, years after the um, Dr. Shepard was convicted the first time, uh, this is the perfect guy you want, right? This is probably yeah. the perfect um, person you want to point your finger to and say it's not Dr. Shepard. Uh, and... I wanted to know this entire time. Did he have black, bushy hair or whatever they called? <laughs> That's all I was thinking. That's <laughs> all I was thinking. Oh, I read. Okay, so I did see a video. Um, one of the videos that I watched said that he he was bald. Okay, but or had very, very short hair, maybe shaved. Um, it was very, very short. He definitely did not have bushy hair. But they also said that he had a propensity for wearing um like toupees he would wear wigs oh he would wear wigs yeah so and and obviously i know and i'm I'm told this all the time when it comes to these kind of cases that human memory is not the thing that you want to go on and of course if dr shepherd woke up and there was a man in the house and all that stuff um just him saying bushy hair maybe that's just what he had in his head and we can't take it as if it's not bushy he's innocent and if it is he's guilty but um I don't think that this is enough information. Obviously, we would want so much more. And this is why I say, like, prior, it's super important. Even if you have your preconceived judgments and you're part of the case, you need to be as diligent as possible. Because if there's anything that would have pointed to Mr. Richard Eberling versus Dr. Shepard, then that's that's huge. That is important. But now it's, like, years after he's been convicted and it's just, like, things that that suggests that Richard was the um, the murderer. So it, it's just, it's super tough. It's super difficult. I still say that Dr. Shepard did it. And I, I don't know. I just feel like his story is so 
off. I, I, I just, I think it was Dr. Shepard. Well, and one thing that I thought about when considering this Ms., uh, Mr. Eberling was Sam Shepard knew him. If he, if he was the one that was in the room, even if he didn't see him then, he would have recognized him out by the lake when they were in the scuffle. Oh, yes. He? No, you're right. You're right. You're right. And four four thirty in the morning, it's not like it's pitch black outside. No, you're right. I mean, maybe it, maybe it was dark, but still, he would have. <laughs> no. Yeah, come on. You're giving him a little too much credit. No, he definitely would have um, recognized him. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. And why would Dr. Shepard um, hide that fact if he didn't know? Right? He got knocked out by him twice. No. Yeah. yeah. You just won me back, oh Tina. I I need you, girl. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So I, yeah, I'm I'm, I, I have a hard time with it because I there was so much. It's if I look at the whole story uh, from one point of view, like the point of view of this doctor who had never been known to really do anything like this before, who they had just been ha- having this dinner party with their friends and he felt he had fallen asleep and then it's it seems so so bizarre that he would then go and murder his wife in this way um now the only thing that i can imagine in my mind is that to somehow make that make sense would be that at some point so they did see him sleeping the 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 friends that left saw him sleeping on that daybed, so there he was sleeping on the daybed. But uh, he could have, at some point, you know, woke up, gone upstairs, and then approached her, you know, and then she refused. Exactly. And things turned ugly. Yeah. I, I think that could have happened, or whatever could have happened if she, you know, she went into that bedroom. I think if he, because he... Also, I wonder if he had been drinking because they apparently had this thing where they would like do mixed like cocktails and martinis and that sort of thing. So he he became an alcoholic later. That that doesn't mean that he wasn't drinking oh, then. Exactly. And 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 being an alcoholic, right? It depends. Like how when are you an alcoholic? Where, how many mm-hmm. drinks makes you an alcoholic? Right. We try to have those scales and like, uh, but yeah. If you're drinking, you're drinking, you make bad decisions, and being drunk one night doesn't mean you're an alcoholic, but he could have been um, not of the right state of mind. Uh, and to follow up on that, the thing that always got me, it's like you see something crazy like this. Why is the first person you call the mayor unless you want, like, someone important to be on your side? Why don't you call the cop? Like, I was like, that was the first thing. Like, if any, if anything goes wrong in my house, in my whatever, the first thing I'm doing is 911, not let me go down my contacts list and see if I got the mayor's number so he can come in and say that I was. So I feel like just because he had the mayor in his back pocket, he wanted someone important to be on his side. Yeah. I'm a, I agree with you. I that was so I have that one the one vision of like this doesn't make any sense. Why would this doctor do this if he was trying to plan to kill his wife? It's like the worst idea ever. Exactly. But, but then if it was like an like a just a fit of rage, something happened and he just in a fit of rage went crazy and then afterwards tried to stage it like oh gosh what have I done? So I'm gonna push her shirt up over her um up you know up above, up to her chest and pull her pants down and you know all that stuff and then run out to the the lake the water 
dunk myself in the water. Um, oh, there's way too much blood on my shirt to get that off. It's a white shirt that he was wearing. Mm-hmm. So then he does something with that. Who knows what they, they didn't find it. But why would um, a killer have taken off with his shirt? Exactly. It's ridiculous. If the killer's running away with your shirt, he's just trying to get caught. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes no sense. So then, but it does make sense that he would have done all of those things, call his neighbor, possibly call the neighbor, and the neighbor doesn't know anything. But the neighbor came over with his wife. Yeah. After he tells him, my wife has, his actual statement to the neighbor when he called was, you've got to get over here. You've got to get over here. They've killed Marilyn or something like that. Well, so the mayor is going to bring his wife when there's been a murder. What if the guy's still there? Do you even know? I mean, really? Yeah. A lot of it. Like when you start looking at the big picture, especially his, his story, there's so many holes and there's so many, I don't understand why anyone would do such a thing like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big questions. And a lot of people thought that his brother also, could possibly have had a part in helping him clean up and stage everything. I don't know why that was thought, but that was just sort of something that was thrown around from different people that it was possible his brother was kind of in on it. Um, he was always very adamant that his his brother was, was innocent. So that, to me, that's, if when I think about the, the likelihood of someone, of this neurosurgeon doing this, it seems so crazy. But then when I think about the likelihood that he was laying on the bed downstairs while his wife was upstairs. And then that just happened to be the night someone happened to come in. There's no sign of a forced entry. So she must have, when she went to bed, left the door unlocked. I kind of feel like that's pretty unlikely. Then they happened to come in, go, when did they turn, when did they go through and pull out the drawers looking for things and turn his medical bag? If this person was coming in to, quote, commit a sex crime and and were fixated on her, they wouldn't be looking through drawers for things, I don't think. Exactly. And if they did come to look through stuff and it was an actual robbery, they would be looking through all the drawers. But they also wouldn't leave the man downstairs sleeping on the couch alone and go kill the wife and leave the son in the next door room alone. So, like, it's too – there's too many big questions. I'm telling you, Tina. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, some of the arguments from people who believe he's innocent was that he – this person was – obviously not in their right mind and they weren't thinking about getting caught that it was not anywhere in there they were just so fixated on her but again i can't i don't understand the staging yeah uh, if, exactly what or it, why would this if you if you're breaking in to get valuables so you're opening drawers and looking for valuables then how does that uh, convert over to going upstairs and doing the absolute heinous crime that was committed. It's not just like, a, oh, you caught me doing this. I'm going to kill exactly. you. This was like, I hate your guts and I'm going to, you, know, you know, that's brutally murder you and like take joy right. in it. Because like, if you want to kill something, I mean, you stab him and you run away, you choke him, you run away. But there's no way you you could have beat someone, bludgeoned them. Like they said, I, I don't know how many stab wounds, but they were more than enough. And then it, it was it was just horrific it was just horrific i think it was like 36 or something like that and they were about the head and face and so i just don't it's it's not someone who just 
it's just the, it's very inconsistent with a burglary gone bad. There's two different things that happened here. One of them was this horrific, raging person who, whoever did that, was absolutely out of their mind with rage yes. and hatred. There's no doubt about that. So that is, to me, inconsistent with someone who neatly and cleanly opened the drawers <laughs> looking for, you know what I'm saying? You're right. No, you're 1,000% right. Though Those two things cannot mix, right? It just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah. So I guess that's our story for, um, that's the story of Dr. Sam Shepard. And you guys can find all kinds, if you're still curious, if you're curious and you want to form your own opinion, there's, there's probably a million details oh, yes. that I didn't even include. There's so much about this story that's out there and so many different opinions of what happened. But yeah, just you can find when, that. When yeah. Tina was sending me the information for this uh, story, for the bad story today, for Dr. Sam Shepard, she sent me literally like two full-length movie worth of information. And then when I just typed Sam Shepard into Google, there is an unheard of amount of information about this single case. It is crazy. Yeah. Like, it is insane. So... You can find as much information as you want. And I think that goes to show is still like to this day, there are people saying like, oh, my God, yes, he definitely did it. And oh, my God, no, he definitely did not. So it's Mm -hmm. it's 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 one of those cases. Well, I guess that brings us to our our good doctor. Yes. I always end on a good note. I like the way you do it, Tina. (laughs) So our good doctor this week was um, Dr. Donald Liu. And I will say. Again, this happens sometimes with the good story because they are sometimes a hero. Sometimes they die being a hero. And the, Dr. Liu did die as this was in the uh, Chicago Tribune, but he died as he lived saving children. He was a, pediatri- a pediatric surgeon and mm. he was with his wife. They were having a weekend getaway. And then he saw two children struggling in Lake Mich- Michigan. And I guess they were out and maybe he saw some waves or, some, or something and he he could tell that they were struggling. So he went in to help them, but then he was pulled underwater and he drowned helping those kids. But the kids were, were able to get out of the water. Yeah, no, um, it's really sad. And like, it, 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 I mean, I feel like anyone and everyone, if they see children in the water anywhere in situations like this, they'll jump to like, go do what they need yeah. to do. But like, it's like, He's a pediatrician. Like who? Like who else better to do this kind of, um, you know? Every like, it's it's very heroic. It's it's intense. It's this is, I'm this is. He literally gave his life for these children. It's it's absolutely amazing. It's just it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, he had recently celebrated his fiftieth birthday, and he was um, just spending the weekend with his wife, and he had three children. It's really sad. I know. About ninety miles from Chicago. And it was around 9.40 in the morning. He saw some children, and he went in to help. And then he went under the water before the rescue crews could arrive. His uh, death apparently was one of two drownings that had happened that day. Yeah, no, it's really scary. But I I, I don't know. I, I feel like – to. <laughs> So just to lose a family member in that kind of way, I guess it's mm-hmm. – you can never get over the fact that you lose a family member, right? But, like, this is someone who literally gave his life to save some children. 
he truly is a hero. And I just have to say, Tina, I love the fact that like where we do a bad nurse, we talk about our good nurse. Mm-hmm. And yes, we, we, I mean, we rammed Dr. Shepard because he was a horrible, well, at least I believe that he did it. He was a horrible human being. And I really like that you chose for the healthcare provider, a good one, that you also chose a doctor. Um, because I say this, just like I said last week, it's very important, oh, the week before, um, the last time I was on, it's very important to know that, yes, they are the very, very, very few crazy doctors, healthcare providers out there that can do and are willing, just like everyone else, to do horrible things. But for the vast majority of healthcare providers, they get into what they do because they want to help people. And I always tip my hat. Some people help others. You know, they adopt a kid because they're a nurse and they love the baby that was in the NICU for so long. Yeah. But then there's people that go the whole nine and they literally save another human's being life when they don't have their weight coat on, when they don't have their scrubs on. Um, and sadly, Dr. Lou lost his during that act. Yeah. One of his colleagues said that he was brilliant, caring. He was compassionate. One of the most wonderful people you would ever meet. He was, and they, he called him a prince of a man. It's amazing. They think he was pulled in by a rip, a rip current. Mm-hmm. So rip currents scare me to death because I looked up what, what they are when, whenever we went to the beach and it, I, it scares me so bad that I don't like my kids to get into the water too far. <laughs> oh, Gina. I'm so scared of rip currents. <laughs> Can I ask how old your kids are? Uh, my youngest is 14, so I have my kids are older. But it doesn't matter how old they are. They could be 50, and I'll be like, don't get in the rip. You're gonna, the rip current is going to get you. <laughs> so, I, so I don't know what a rip current is. I'm not a so it's, beach goer, a big beach It's basically, yeah, the, so the waves are coming in. And as the waves are coming in, you have two different waves. One, I want to say one is coming in, and then the other the others are going out or something and it it creates this current very very strong current oh, that goes from like the way out in the uh in the water so if you are out there just playing around you could be just standing there playing around and all of a sudden you happen to wander into a rip current it will so fast jerk you and take you way out into the into the water oh that's really scary way out yeah, and you have no control over it. And they say there's actually some conflicting information about the best thing to do if this happens. Because, of course, I had to look that up, too. <laughs> Mom of the year over here. <laughs> um, I got to know what to tell my kids. <laughs> got to tell them what to do. Um, yes. And I was so frustrated. because like, which one is it? So some people, some experts say that you're supposed to swim to the side to try to get out of the current. And uh, some experts say that you should just ride with the current and let it take you all the way out. And eventually it will you will end up out there and then you can tread water because if you try to swim against it, you're going to wear yourself out and you'll you'll end up drowning because you can't. It's too strong. But I can understand why you get frustrated. I know this is obviously not the thing, but like if you're trying to swim to the edge of it. That's literally the opposite of the other suggestion where they tell you to let it go because either way you're doing the opposite of what the other person is. I right. got you. And, and the what most people do is try to swim toward the shore. Oh, yes. Okay. So they usually try to do the opposite of both of those things. So you're they're trying to swim toward the shore. One expert says, well, if you swim to the side, you can get out of the current. So even as you're being pushed out – if you're swimming to the side, you can get out of it. But some some people say you're fighting too hard to do that, so you shouldn't try to get out of it. And But what the other experts say is that by the time it takes you all the way out, you might not be able to get yourself 
back to back if someone didn't catch you see you Mm -hmm. then you're just out there waiting hopefully someone comes um and not to take away anything but uh, uh Yes, we are talking about the rip cards, but Dr. Luke, not not to take anything away from him, just saying that if he did get caught by one of these rip cards, it's a scary thing. It's a really, really scary thing. Um, and he lost his life due to one of these things. Yeah, so he was uh, survived by his wife, Dr. Dana Suskin, so she was a doctor as well. And then he had three children, Genevieve, who was 13, Asher, who was 10, and uh, Emily, who was 7. Yeah, it's quite the family to leave behind. I know. It's really sad. I know. So, like like I said, he was the hero. He is the good doctor. And I know it's still a sad story, but sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but some, sometimes the best, um, you know, they shine in bad situations. Well, and there's children, you know, two children out there whose families are very, very thankful and grateful for him, I'm sure. Sure they are forever grateful. It's literally two children's lives that he saved. Yes. So I guess that's it for our this episode. Um, thank you so much again, Tina. I always love coming on, and I would whenever, literally, Tina, whenever you need a co-host, you let me know when, where, how, and I'm in there. Okay. As long as the stories are as, as interesting as these, I'm all all about it. I'm one thousand. Okay, we'll have to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm there too. We have to. We'll have to schedule the next one before we even get off here. I'm about that light. <laughs> Well, I want to just um, remind you guys, of course, go to the website again and look up Q the nurse on Instagram and YouTube and see what he's all about. He's so funny and puts lots of good things on there and has lots of great followers. And I've noticed, uh, Q, some of your followers, I think, are following me. I think because I got a little bump in my followers on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Your your guys all they're good people. They're good people. (laughs) Nurses. You know, nurses every I love it. They like what you do. I like what you They're do. They're so wonderful. So I just want to remind everyone that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Q? Right. Be a good nurse. Mm-hmm.